This is Minnesota Native News Community Health Conversations with hosts Leah Lem and Dr. Anthony Stately. Community Health Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. Anine, hello. I'm Leah Lem. And I'm Anthony Stately. We're back with more conversations, more explorations about how healthcare in Indian country is responding and adapting beyond the COVID-19 pandemic. Miigwech, and thank you for joining us. Yes, we are back together again. Buju, Dr. Anthony Stately. Hi, Leah. I'm so glad to be back chatting with you again. You bring such a great expertise to these conversations as the head of the Native American Community Clinic in Minneapolis. And today we're going to take some time to look at where we are in the COVID-19 pandemic landscape. And this is our first program in quite some time. We began at the beginning of the pandemic, oh, those years ago when a lot was different. And now things are, well, still different, but the public health emergency is over and day-to-day life is more similar to what was before the pandemic. But we all went through this really big thing, these really big changes, and now we'll explore the valuable lessons we've learned during the pandemic and discuss how we can move forward embracing personal and community health. On today's program, we are joined by Dr. Charity Reynolds, a family medicine doctor at Fond du Lac Human Services, with extensive experience at Community Memorial Hospital Cloquet and St. Luke's Hospital Duluth. She has been an integral part of our community's healthcare for more than 11 years. Dr. Reynolds, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me to be part of the conversation today. Absolutely. So how are you doing, Dr. Reynolds? We are doing well. I'm doing well and love serving my community and moving forward after uh, the pandemic and taking it one day at a time. Is there anything I missed in your introduction that you'd like to make sure that I add? I'm currently the medical director for the Fond du Lac Human Services. Great. And as we prepared for this conversation, you, Dr. Stately, brought up that the federal public health emergency has been declared over. It was declared over in May. And a lot of the tools we've gained, like vaccines, treatments, testing, et cetera, is still available, will remain available, but there have been some aspects that are phased out. So what has been a big change you're seeing that's affecting your patients at the Native American Community Clinic? Well, I think a couple things that come to mind are, one is that, you know, COVID-19 for a lot of folks is just sort of like not at the front of their minds a lot of the time. Um, So we've, I would say about six months ago, we stopped requiring masks um, among all of the staff. Um, You know, people were reaching, you know, saturation points with vaccines and such, and we weren't seeing as much of it in the community. And so we've pivoted and done a lot of things differently. So we're still doing some things to take precautions. And we recognize that, you know, the cadence of uh, COVID-19 is just different now. Not a lot of people are thinking about it. You might be out and about in the it certainly is my experience when I go out to like the grocery store or so like what we're seeing in the clinic is kind of representative, I think, of what's kind of happening out in the community. And as a clinic, we make the vaccine available to people. We encourage them to, especially folks who are elderly or who have immunocompromised um, health system, um, health issues, 
um, we ask, we make the vaccine available to them and we encourage them to take it at least annually. Um, the most recent vaccine, which I think is still a bivalent. I don't think there's been any updates to that. Great. Thank you for that. Dr. Reynolds, do you have any like responses as we transition into our conversation with you to what uh, Dr. Stately was just talking about? Kind of what are those big like macro things that you've seen kind of change in the last few months? I think that we were similar in the mindset that we were ready to get out of the pandemic. You know, at the very beginning, I remember it was declared a pandemic and we thought it was just going to be a week or two that we were going to figure things out and, you know, whatever was going on was going to be stopped. And so it dragged out for three years and patients and staff alike, um, you know, got uh, worn out and got tired of it and following the rules. Um, But we at the forefront of it, um, you know, those that had to make the decisions for the whole community. Um, We did our best to be very cautious about it and following the public health recommendations, you know, uh, what was the um, Centers for Disease and Control telling us to do? What was the public health? We know that we're a vulnerable community and we wanted to follow it for as long as possible. But we looked at the data, we made sure, hey, is this okay? And a lot of the push for ending the emergency was Um, because people are likely uh, either immunized to it via vaccine or they were infected and, you know, now had immunity um, towards it. So we supported, you know, lifting those things that Dr. Stately was um, speaking to, you know, no longer having to wear a mask, only if you have symptoms, letting people back into the building uh, that may have symptoms. And um, we still, um, like Dr. Stately, we have put COVID-19 vaccine into our regular immunization. So we ask, have you gotten your shingle shot? Have you gotten your happy shot? Have you gotten your uh, COVID-19? So it is now into our routine um, to make sure that it's on there. We had a celebration. We um, had a drum ceremony. We have a cultural center here that we've worked um, closely with. And a lot of the you know staff uh, were invited to go to sweat lodges and be able to um, be able to heal from this. And we still, the community continues to have sweat lodges and healing through everything that um, they've gone through the pandemic. So it's still a reminder. Um, we're still working towards um, healing from it at the moment. Yeah, that's a great reminder. I think it may, I remember we were talking not too long ago and we were talking about like, you know, the the actual virus maybe or the severity of the risk of becoming sick with COVID might be sort of le- significantly lessened. You know, one of the things that we obviously contend with, right, is the aftermath of um, of the things that we all experienced over the last two or three years. And certainly there's lots of mental health issues, lots of loneliness, lots of, you know, um, things that are a direct result of those things of being isolated and not being able to have our lives as normal. Um, we've had, we've all so many, I mean, I don't think there's a person I know in my own personal life on, uh, on the planet that hasn't lost, um, somebody, if not multiple people within their family structures or their, or their family of choice, like their friends and their coworkers and just the magnitude of that sometimes and thinking about it is staggering. Those are things we'll be living with for a while, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and along those lines, Dr. Reynolds, what critical lessons or particular lessons do you believe we've learned as a community in terms of healthcare? I think the pandemic definitely highlighted the racial inequalities. You know, this was a global pandemic. It brought awareness to the fact that BIPOC people had worse outcomes and it was, we were learning data so quickly and what was going on. And so these discrepancies were being noticed quickly. Um, So I think that's huge because it puts to light, you know, one, this was happening nationwide and two, why was it happening, right? So addressing the structural racism and, you know, as somebody who, you know, as you mentioned, I'm a family medicine physician. I've always worked towards health equity for um, communities. I come from a Mexican-American background. I work for um, an indigenous community. It's always been a passion of mine. So being very aware, working with my administrators and with the chairman and the reservation business committee, knowing we're, we were vulnerable to this, we were going to be vulnerable and working really hard from the health aspect to make sure that we had vaccines right away, that we had treatment, that we were taking care of people. But I think not everyone was equal. And um, that racial structure is something that racism is still there. And there was this acute awareness during the pandemic. And we really need to, you know, address that. And there's so many ways um, that we can do that. So when another pandemic comes, because it will come, is how do we reduce um, those um, health inequities that were brought to light? Do you have an example of what was learned and executed as um, a result of that experience of going through the pandemic? Yeah. As somebody who's in the healthcare, I can say that a lot of our associations, so the physician associations, unnoticed, hey, you know, we know about it, this, you know, racism exists and this uh, health inequalities are there, but addressing it wasn't a huge thing. It wasn't something at the forefront. And now they're definitely um, having seminars and um, speaking to every, inviting um, people of Indigenous and Black and Hispanic backgrounds to talk about it and uh, what are they facing and teaching others, you know, being able to address it and really um, starting with education and educating those that are at the forefront of it. And um, so we have to start somewhere and then advocating. I think the medical associations are helping to start advocating for uh, racial equality. Great. Thank you. And how do you see we can sustain these positive changes and momentum in addressing healthcare? How do we know that these seminars, this awareness isn't just a flash in the pan for now? That's a good question. I think because we are, one, addressing it, we continue to have conversations about it. We continue to put it out um, to everyone. So the more that we hear about it, the more that we talk about it, the more that we learn and we're able um, to discuss it in our groups, in our community. We need to get the word out to everybody. You know, on a personal level, I meet people who have microaggressions. It's like, wow, like that's not right or that's racist. And being able to know how to educate them. Well, let me tell you about this or let's talk about this. So, and being able to Distance that's to everybody is super important and bringing that awareness at the federal level, the state level, the local level. It's just everybody needs to be aware to make a change. So 
we can prevent future, um, you know, deaths. Yeah, at some point, not being aware is not going to be an excuse. Uh, Dr. Stately, do you have a response? Sure. I think the pandemic certainly um, had an impact on things and will continue long into the future to have impact specifically within healthcare. But I think there's a lot of other systems that have been impacted as well, right? So healthcare broadly, I think for a long time, will continue to sort of transform and and, um, and change and adapt over time. You know, a, a few things that became really clear, even just from a systems level, like we didn't have enough beds for children and for the for the number of children um, at least here in the state of Minnesota, like remember when like we had practically no children in emergency beds because in the early in the pandemic, the pandemic was um, hit the elderly population first and adults first. And then when, when the pandemic kind of pivoted really quickly and we started seeing children being hurt um, and impacted greatly, we were less prepared because we had you know pivoted and um, didn't think about like the ability to sort of predict where it's going. So I think there's a lot of stuff we have to do in relationship to um, be prepared for the next pandemic. Because as Dr. Charity Reynolds mentioned, like there will be another one. Are we ready? Are we? Um, have we learned the things that we need to learn from this within the healthcare structure to be well prepared and to be able to be much more resilient and predict as well where where things are kind of moving with more um, speed and agility and accuracy? I think is going to be one of the biggest challenges. And then as a society, we have to sort of like do some stuff across multiple systems, but also within our society to begin to rebuild trust in the public health system, right? Which is like, you know, so much of this experience challenged people's belief and faith in um, institutions, including public health, right? Challenged challenged faith and, and belief in some institutions like our government. These are things that we are going to have to work on repairing and building back better and making um, them stronger than they've ever been so that we are well positioned and well prepared for the next pandemic because it will happen. It's just a matter of time. You're listening to Minnesota Native News, Community Health Conversations. This program is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. Find information about COVID vaccines and boosters online at mn.gov slash COVID-19. Well, it's another round of conversations about community health in Indian country here in Minnesota. And today we're joined by Dr. Charity Reynolds, Medical Director at Fond du Lac Human Services. Are there specific initiatives or projects that you believe are crucial for promoting long-term community health and well-being that goes beyond the pandemic? Well, one, we talked a lot about race and addressing that um, at micro and macro levels as well. uh, Other things I would say, I mentioned like listening to our community and really hearing like, what is it that they need? Is that hearing from us um, more specifically about questions, addressing the health you know, health needs, what are the, you know, doing community assessments and what does the community need and being able to address those at a level. And then a big thing for, you know, Indigenous communities is bringing more of the traditional medicine back into um, the way we do medicine. And that's kind of, you know, my, my dream would be to integrate it a lot more. We have a cultural center here on Fond du Lac. It's growing, you know, we're getting more people 
I spoke to um, an Ojibwe teacher the other day, and he talked about how healing the language is and how important it is to get back to that. So we really want that for our community. We want that healing to go forward. So I think that the band is working towards that, is working on projects and initiatives to be able to highlight more of traditional cultural pieces of community, of medicine, and then, you know, as the medical director, be being able to integrate that with us. How do we work hand in hand? How can we, you know, we're working on currently, like I mentioned, sweat lodges. We refer people, you know, how in touch are you with um, tradition? How in touch do you want to be? You know what? I know so-and-so over at the cultural center, they would be so happy um, to speak to you. Let me give you their phone number. Let me get you a referral. So a lot of different aspects for um, healing and long-term community health. Well, it sounds like this community health, these ways of healing stretch beyond, you know, the pandemic because the pandemic highlighted and brought out the importance of mental health and um, those types of disparities and substance abuse crisis and all of those things too that can help be addressed by healing and culture. Do you see that as a part of healthcare moving forward as well? Mental health um, is huge in in all of America, and we notice um, the problem is we don't have very many mental health counselors or you know psychiatrists, psychologists in our area. So working hard, you know, to let people know, hey, you are needed. We need mental health specialists. Please come to our area. Uh, please come and um, talk to us. A big thing um, is trauma. So healing from trauma, having our counselors um, be educated in um, trauma-related healthcare and knowing how to address that and being able to recognize it and be able to heal from it is important. So we need to have people that are um, trained um, to do that and to have that healing. Yeah, I mean, these are things we see happening in the Twin Cities too. So I'm a child psychologist or a psychologist and we're never going to have, well, I shouldn't say never. It'll be a long time before we see um, enough um, mental health practitioners and providers to serve our community, right? Um, the, The need is so great. And it's been really difficult and challenging that during the pandemic, we lost so many people within um, healthcare, even within mental health and substance abuse treatment services. Like they just kind of left the field because they were burned out. And, you know, so we're kind of clawing our way back in, in, in a lot of ways in these areas. And I do think that it'll take us a while to get there. But in the meantime, we can do other things within our communities and within our systems to sort of try to begin to better address mental health issues like we can train all of our primary care providers and our dental providers, other people that could be doing screenings for mental health and getting people um, uh, referred for care. We could also begin to amplify the the access and the ability for people to do things like have access to traditional healing sources like ceremonial practices, um, drumming, dancing and singing, um, the, all these other things that we do. One of the things that is really remarkable to me is um, NAC recently started a men's drum group. Um, it was actually a, 
a drum group that was started specifically for this prevention program we have for young men between the ages of 16 and 24. And we didn't have a place to have the drum group because a lot of places closed down or people around us were remodeling their space. And so we put the drum group outside in the parking lot, right outside the space where um, we have our medication-assisted treatment dosing program. And over the last several weeks of having this drum group, we've been seeing people from the community just kind of coming from all different directions and kind of gathering around the drum. We've seen, you know, four or five of the people who um, are in um, being treated for opiate addiction showing up and being on the drum. And just like we've seen the power of that drum beat and that drum call call people to the center and and come and lots of people saying you know I, I come here because this this is the thing I need right and so it speaks to how important our traditional ways are in helping to promote connection which is you know there's a phrase in recovery that says the opposite of addiction is recover is connection um, and. So creating these things in our community where people can feel connected and tethered to one another and tethered to something that's really important and meaningful is the antidote to, I think, in some ways to illness and suffering. And so just doing what we can do to sort of help um, create those opportunities in our communities will really benefit everyone. So as we start to wrap up our conversation, Dr. Reynolds, what message up? of hope and encouragement would you like to share with our Native communities as we navigate this journey on into the future? I think, you know, we, the community has been through a lot throughout history. And I think a a big part of, you know, to stay healthy and to continue to move forward is to continue to stand up for oneself as a community and as individuals and, you know, let the government and the, and everyone else in the communities, Hey, we are here, we're important and we have our needs and they need to be met as well. And, you know, there's a lot of a lot of issues out there, like racism being a big one and being able to continue to work on that as well and advocate uh, for change to happen. And I think it's important for um, Indigenous communities to know that um, they have advocates as well and that their voices are being heard and to um, continue to discuss the issues that they're facing that are caused by external forces and working towards healing. And I think that as a as a community and healthcare, we're working towards bringing what's needed that that traditional healing, like Dr. Stately said. And I like how he mentioned that connectedness. I think that is important, and that's kind of a a root and encouragement. You know, you you are a community, you are connected, and you can continue to foster that connectedness. And everyone else um, can learn from you that that's important, and that they should not interfere with it. (laughs) Thank you. And Dr. Stately, do you have an additional message of hope as we move on into the future? Yeah, I think like, you know, remembering our original instructions, you know, that we were put on earth to be good relatives to each other and tend to each other, take care of each other. We want to, 
you know, reach out and check on our elders, you know, um, do what we need to do to protect our children, our women, you know, and, um, and our languages and our, you know, all these things. I'm thinking from the perspective of an indigenous man, my responsibilities, right? But I also want to say something really practical to, to our community, which is a lot of our people in our state, um, especially with Medicaid expansion over the last decade, um, are covered through their health care insurance through Medicaid expansion. And over the last three years during the emergency you know, declaration, we weren't were required to be recertified. And this is a real issue in our communities. I think like NACTED and evaluation where there's about 30% of the people that we serve that um, are likely to lose their insurance if they don't recertify within the next 30 to 45 days um, because the deadline's been extended, I think, to ex- extended to the end of August. But I would also say that we are a highly mobile community, right? We move back and forth between our um, our homes and the and the urban core. We go home to take care of our elders and our relatives when they're sick. We go home for ceremony. Maybe we go home for a period of times because we can't economically make it in the big city. So, you know, these notices to recertify are probably in the mail. And if you didn't update your email address, I mean, you're, look how... I meant your actual address. What is it called? Snail mail address. <laughs> if if you know the state doesn't have that address on file, you're not going to get your certification letter. Okay. So, yeah. wonderful. Thank yeah. you so much for that, Doctor Stigley. Super important. And as we wrap up our conversation, we'll make sure to repeat that. Oh, so yeah, I just want to say, Chimigwech, Doctor Charity Reynolds, for taking time to chat with us today. Thank you so much for having me on and uh, be well and take care. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening today. Chimi Gwech. Again, Dr. Charity Reynolds, Family Medicine Doctor at Fond du Lac Human Services. So, Dr. Stately, can you repeat that information about Medicaid? What changes are coming up that people need to look out for? Medicaid certifications were not required to be renewed during the pandemic. This changed with the ending of the public health emergency. Folks with Medicaid coverage are now required to be recertified within the next month. Watch your mail for a notice from your Medicaid provider or visit NAC or any other community health center and talk with a patient advocate or a mentor navigator to complete recertification so that you can keep your coverage. Great. Thank you for sharing that information, Dr. Stately. Miigwech. Miigwech. I'm Anthony Stately. And I'm Leah Lem. Gigawabamen, and we wish you health. Gigawabamen, everyone. Minnesota Native News Community Health Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. 
find information about COVID vaccines and boosters online at mn.gov COVID-19. Find more of our conversations at minnesotanativenews.org slash community conversations.